Hi, you're listening to Something to Talk About. This is producer Beth Benson. And I want to let you know that today's episode contains a brief description of suicide. This occurs around the 26th minute mark. If this issue is especially troubling for you, or if you're listening where kids might hear, you may want to skip ahead. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. I'm Vanessa Hawkins, and joining Amber and me today is Pam Willis and Angela Watkins. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. We like to start our time together with a segment we call First Things First. And today's question is, when was the first time you stayed up all night and watched the sun rise? Please take a moment to introduce yourselves as you answer today's question. Okay. Hi, I'm Pam Willis, and I'm married to Matt. Uh, We've been married almost 29 years and have been at First Pres around 25 years We have three adult children, two boys, Josh and Luke, and a daughter. Her name is Isabel. So the first time that I stayed up all night and watched the sunrise, I can't actually remember when I intentionally did that, (laughs) but I do remember the first time I saw a sunrise, and that was when I was about 13. Um, When I was growing up, my family, we didn't really go on a lot of vacations, but one year we went on this cruise, and my dad woke me up early one morning and I stumbled out of bed and he took me to the very front of the ship. And I remember being cold and the wind was blowing. And then all of a sudden that big old ball of fire appeared right over the ocean. And it was so beautiful. And I've loved sunrises ever since. And recently in the last few years, our families, when our family's been at the beach together, we will get donuts the night before. This is always the night before we're getting ready to leave the next day. And we will go down to the beach and watch the sunrise with our coffee and our donut. And that's kind of our new tradition. That is way cool. My name is Angela Watkins. I'm married to David Watkins. And we've almost been married 40 years. Mm -hmm. Um, We have two adult children, Daniel and Christina, a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And our son has twins, so we have grandkids. So we're very much enjoying that time in our lives. And I'm a retired physician assistant, recently retired and enjoying every minute of that also. Mm-hmm. So this question about staying up to see a sunrise might, um, I mean, I'm the elder in this group. And <laughs> I, I think that sleep is a wonderful gift <laughs> from yes, God. Amen. <laughs> so I can't ever imagine intentionally staying up <laughs> to see the sunrise because you can just go to bed. Set your clock and then get up and watch the sunrise. But about a month and a half ago, we did go to the beach and I did set my clock and I got up and intentionally walked to the water Mm -hmm. to see uh, a most beautiful sunrise over the beach. Sunrises on the beach are absolutely amazing and well worth getting up for. My first time watching a sunrise was not intentional. I was up all night at Bell Engineering Center uh, in in, uh, University of Arkansas campus studying all night. So what I learned about sunrises then is if I stayed up all night and the sun came up, I, I just immediately felt drained when I saw it because I knew that I had lost all opportunity to to go to sleep, you know, at night. And so it was a mental thing for me. So if I and, and I've had, of course, many other times of staying up all night and studying, but 
man, to see the sunrise, it's like, oh, it's just instantly draining. Now, um, if I actually get up to watch the sunrise or if I go to bed for a couple of hours and have a reset, then it's glorious. But if I stay up all night, I'm kind of like you, Angela, not so much. <laughs> not so much. We're all getting old, ladies. We have to say, we're all getting old. Girl, that was 18. I was oh, dying. I got up all night. Like, oh. I remember some of those nights myself. And I'm just impressed y'all can get up at the beach. I'm such a sleeper in her at the beach. I'm going to watch the sun set. And I count that as good. <laughs> One of the times that I like to see the sunrise is my dad used to drive uh, for a bus company that would take these trips all over the United States, uh, cross-country trips and to different states and that sort of thing. And he would drive, the way they did it is these buses would convert to bunk beds. And so the passengers would go from sitting upright during the day, and then we would stop at like a rest station, rest area, and then all those seats would convert to like a row of bunks. And so you would sleep in these row of bunks, and the driver would keep driving all night long. So oftentimes my dad would drive through the night, and I like to sit up front in the very front passenger seat with these huge bus windows just in front of you and imagine that maybe I could stay up all night and keep him company and I, I rarely made it all the way through the night but I do remember what it was like that feeling as the sun's coming up on the horizon especially if we were driving that direction it almost felt just like you were driving into this beautiful glorious display hmm. and I remember how how wonderful that was how captivating it was you know, when we're moving into Joshua chapter 2 today, I don't know if y'all felt this way when you read Joshua chapter 2, but for me, it really did feel like I was driving in to this beautiful display mm. of majesty and might and mercy, uh, particularly seen through Rahab's uh, confession of who God is. If you haven't read yourself, listeners, Joshua chapter 2, I would highly encourage you to stop and give it a listen. It is so well worth the read mm -hmm. before you listen to us talk about it. But last week we talked about Joshua chapter 1, and we talked about the life-giving promises that God gives to his people through his word. And Vanessa, Virginia, Diane, and I talked about how God's promises give us courage and strength in our everyday lives as we learn to meditate on his word and live according to it. And so at the end of Joshua 1, you see that the people of Israel and their leader Joshua are ready to do exactly what the Lord has called them to do. The Lord's revealed his word, and the people are ready to act on it. They're ready to move into a land that has been promised to them many years before because they believe God's promises and they have the courage to act. So with that sort of readiness at the end of chapter 1, you'd expect chapter 2 to start off with some, some type of triumphal march into the land. But instead, you see Joshua secretly sending out two spies to survey the land, especially the powerful and well-protected city of Jericho. And it's sort of surprising, I guess, that the spies end up in the home of a prostitute mm -hmm. named Rahab, who risks her life to hide them, and who lies to the authorities to protect them. And, you know, I don't know about y'all, but it's possible to get distracted in chapter two by all the different dramatic peripheral details in the story. I mean, you have Rahab's occupation, for one. You have her lies, her risky plans to save the spies, mm -hmm. the intense manhunt that follows, and then the su successful return of the spies to Joshua. And I found all those things were pretty intriguing. They're Absolutely. interesting, yeah. you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of things written about, should Rahab have lied? Should she not have lied? Why are those men in her house in the first place? You know, all those sorts of questions. And you could get caught up in all of those little yes. details 
right? Mm-hmm. But missed the main point. Absolutely. Yeah. What I loved in Dale Ralph Davis's commentary, I want to give a little shout out for that commentary mm-hmm. here for a second. Let me look at my title. It's Focus on the Bible series, Joshua by Dale Ralph Davis. No Falling Words is the subtitle. And it is so accessible. Yes. Readable, relevant, reliable. That that's how they advertise it on the back of the book. I saw. It. I was like, yes, it is all those. Look things. at it you, is all walking advertisement. Things. Yeah, um, but anyway, <laughs> totally worth worth getting. It's so helpful. But he makes the point that chapter two, you could divide it up into five sections. The verses break apart into five sections, and section one and section five go together. Section two and section four, and then there's section three in the middle. And it says like it's section one and five are the bread. Section two and three are like the lettuce. And then section, I'm sorry, two and four are like the lettuce. And section three is like the meat. So right at the center of the whole passage, you have the most valuable part. And all the other things are there to hold it together, to give it flavor, but to point to the center. And the center is chapters, I mean, verses eight through 14, where we get Rahab's confession. Vanessa, tell us some of the things you loved about that. I'm just struck by the strength of her testimony, Rahab's testimony. Um, the certainty of it. Mm-hmm. She's not doubting. And this is, I mean, she's presented as a, a harlot. And yet this testimony of who God is, is so strong and it's so precise. And she has heard about his mighty acts. And her language is, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Mm-hmm. The, the Lord, your God, mm-hmm. he is the God in heaven above and on earth beneath all the inhabitants. I mean, it's really strong language about who he is. And so she's not doubting who he, she's certain. She's very certain. She has this holy fear of this great God and all of his power. And and then this right belief of who the Lord is moves her to fear and to ask for mercy. She recognizes that he is a God of righteous wrath and that she needs refuge from it. And, uh, and so it is just powerful. Again, Dale Ralph Davis, our, our good buddy for this study. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he puts it this way. I love how he said this. He says that genuine faith never rests content with being convinced of the reality of God, but presses on to take refuge in God. It isn't just a matter of correct belief, but of desperate need. And I, I just think that that is so powerful. Rahab heard about the mighty acts of this great God. She believed what she heard. She rightly feared him, but believing he was kind, she appealed to his mercy for refuge. Yeah. I underline that line in my in my commentary too. I love that so much. Didn't, don't you? And it really, part of the beauty of the mercy in that passage is the fact that she knew it. Like, do you yes. ever stop to think, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, the rest of Jericho responded completely different. The rest of the people in, in Jericho did not respond to the same knowledge that they had of God's majesty and might. They responded differently. And here is a prostitute woman, probably the lowest of the low in in that society. And Mm -hmm. she somehow gets the fact that this God who is that majestic and that mighty and that much to be feared is also going to be merciful. Like that had to have been the Lord's particular stirring in her heart. There's no way that she could get no that other way. on her own. No Just other that, way. That's who he choose, choose, chose to reveal himself to. How beautiful that is. It is beautiful. Uh, so before we talk about Rahab and her response uh, to the mercy of the Lord and what it looks like for us to respond to his mercy in our lives, I want to talk about the response of the people in Jericho because they responded almost completely opposite to Rahab, where she welcomed the spies in 
and threw herself essentially on their mercy, on the Lord's mercy. They tried to keep the spies out, Mm -hmm. and they tried to lock down and hide um, behind what they thought was a very protective wall of security. You know, Jericho's are surrounded, we know this historically, by a huge wall. And so their idea was to shut out any type of invaders. And, you know, part of it, I think about that person, I think, I mean, that's dumb. But they knew, and they had just talked about this God who had split apart the Red Sea and delivered a whole nation from Egypt who had just decimated nations much stronger than them. And yet they somehow had this hope that if we just lock ourselves up behind this wall, uh, we can keep ourselves safe. It's ridiculous, but it's also understandable. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you all have ever had that feeling sometimes when you know that the majesty of God is essentially sitting at your doorstep mm-hmm. and he's about to come into your life and do what he will. There's a part of you sometimes, at least me, that somehow at times wants to keep him out. So mm-hmm. have you all ever had a feeling of that, like encountered by the majesty, the power of God? Have you ever found yourself protecting, wanting to protect yourself from him? And if so, what does that look like? Well, when I when I think about the sovereignty and the power and the majesty of God, it doesn't make me want to keep him out, but it makes me really want to know more about what's behind it um, and to want to just learn more about his sovereignty and, and how that's going to look in my life. And although at times it makes me question things like how he can he allow these difficult things to happen? But again, it, it gets back to to giving you a desire to want to learn more about God. But I have had conversations with people who say to me, if your God is sovereign and he allows all these horrible things to happen and he is so judgmental that he will let people go in and kill nations and take people, then we don't want any part of that God. And so they keep him out in that way because they just don't want to believe that a God would do that. So if, I, if, if your God does all those horrible things, then we don't want any part of him. Mm-hmm. So I've had, I've had difficult conversations with people who see God in that way and want to know how you could possibly follow a God like that. Yeah, so how, how do you respond in that? It, it is difficult, and it's different levels. You know, one level for me is God's ways are far above my ways, mm-hmm. and he knows the beginning and the end. I just have a very small piece of the puzzle that I'm trying to look at, and I have the trust in God to know that he has the whole picture. And so it depends on if the person wants to go into searching out God for themselves and even going back into the Old Testament to see why did he judge some of these people. And then, of course, you can point them to the New Testament of Jesus Christ when the disciples wanted to rain down fire on people. And Jesus said, no, we aren't doing that. Um, So so different levels to answer that question, but difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. That's a a difficult conversation indeed. I mean, in an age where our autonomy is the ultimate good, you know, our individualism. And so to talk to people about a God who has the right to rule and the right to judge, that's an offense all by itself. Nevertheless, you know, um, that is who he is. And it's sometimes hard for us to get our mind around it. And it's it's doubly hard to convince people who... uh, try to keep their own autonomy intact, that there is someone who's sovereign um, over who rules his universe. Uh, That is why I really love the picture of Rahab in this, because God is about to judge Jericho, but in that judgment, 
he calls out the most unlikely person mm-hmm. as if to show it's not about how good you are at what you do. It's about me revealing myself to you and you calling out to me for mercy. And the fact that Rahab, that she is one of those Canaanites and that she's included in the lineage of Christ, Absolutely. that he uses even in the midst of that judgment, the desire to bless all nations. Absolutely. Pam, what'd you think? Uh, I couldn't think of one particular example. Um, but I do think the most prominent place that in my life where I attempt to keep God out of my life is often how I relate to my adult children. Um, when they were little, we controlled, you know, where they went, who mm-hmm. they saw, how they spent their spare time, what they ate, what time they went to bed. But of course, you know, as they get older, our job as moms is to let them go. And oftentimes that's scary. Definitely doesn't look exactly how I thought it would look. So what I can end up doing is getting super anxious about a situation. And when I get anxious, what makes me feel better is plan or to problem solve. And so I start coming up with that plan or trying to solve this foreseeable problem that I see rather than remembering that God is absolutely sovereign and that he loves my children far more than I do and that his plan is perfect. Oftentimes that doesn't feel great because I feel out of control. But if I truly believe in God's sovereignty, then I'm not in control anyway. I think it's hard as our children become adults and as we learn to parent them and let them go because we often have to watch them make mistakes and watch them intentionally not choose the things of the Lord or even watch them as the Lord brings suffering into their lives. And it's hard to balance pursuing them and loving them well through that. Um and trying to control a situation that makes me mom feel better. So for me, controlling a situation is keeping God at bay and saying, I've got this, God, you're not doing this fast enough. You're not doing this the right way. I'm going to take over rather than father. You are the Lord God almighty. You know, the very numbers of hair on this child's head. And I trust you. I trust your plan is much better than mine. And right now I'm not going to come up with some agenda or text some unsolicited advice send them a flow chart of how they should spend their time, (laughs) email them some great article I've read. I'm going to trust you, Lord, right now in this moment, knowing that you will complete the work that you started in them. That is so good because if there is ever a place for me where I don't always want the Lord's sovereignty, it has been in my children's lives. When I think of those places of where I have prayed prayers that essentially said, can we just do it this my way this time, Lord? Yeah. Can we just, I, I, I see where this is going and can we just do it my way this time? Mm-hmm. And really in asserting that is we don't want to deal with what's the pain that of, of, of the situation. I've, I've often, um, not often, but I've, I can also say that's true for just family members who have been sick or maybe on their deathbed. It's like, can we just not do it your way this time? Yeah. Um, that's where I don't, I, I don't, I know that you're, you have the right to rule and you are the righteous judge, but can we just not do it your way this time? And I would say how that has looked in my life. It, it has caused me to pray weak prayers. Yeah. Um, and it has caused me to elevate my will above the will of the Lord's. It has caused me not to consider that he is not only sovereign, but he's good. And it's, it's, it's places where I doubt that goodness. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I think my plan is, is the plan that will cost me the less pain. And that's not necessarily true. It's just that I have a limited view. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, negotiating Lord, I'll do just, I'll do anything, but you know, or I'll go anywhere, but please don't make me do 
X, Y, Z. And so I think in, in my doubting that he's not only sovereign, but perfectly good is those spaces. That's, that's the sticking point of where I don't want him to have the right to rule and to judge, but he has been merciful in not treating me as I deserve. So ladies talk to me uh, about some of the ways you believe you have experienced God's steadfast mercy extended to you. I loved this question because the last year and a half has been quite an interesting year and a half, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no kidding. It's, you know, time of questioning, Lord, what are you doing? Where mm-hmm. are we going mm-hmm. with all this? I've, I mean, so many questions I've had for the Lord. But during that time, there are several ways that I saw God's constant compassion and kindness to me. And just one of those ways was regarding my middle son. And I asked his permission to talk about him today. So the story goes that shortly after the quarantine started, all three of my kids came home. And we were really having a good time. We really enjoyed being together. And it was just such a weird time because we didn't know a lot about COVID then. So during the day, they were either working or doing schoolwork. And at night, it was really, I don't know if you'll remember, but the spring weather in 2020 was lovely. And so at night, we would sit out on our patio, have appetizers, happy hour. And then, of course, Matt would make this great meal and we'd sit outside and have all these great conversations. It was great. Other than, you know, we didn't know what was going on with COVID. So one night we're sitting there and our middle son says, he announces to the family, that he was going to join the military. Wait, what'd you just say? Uh, So remember how I talked about earlier about filling out a control? Mm -hmm. So now just flow chart. Yes. (laughs) Now just in his defense, he had mentioned the military before and basically he had made no moves to enlist or anything like that. It was just a conversation that basically I had tried to talk him out of. But on that particular night, he told our family he was going to join the military. And not only that, he had already been to the recruiter's office twice and had scheduled the entrance exam once the shelter at home was over. And this wasn't like join the military and go sit behind a desk kind of thing. This was join the military and do really scary things to really scary people with really scary weapons. (laughs) So as the summer went by... You know, Matt and I became his biggest fans, and I immersed myself in learning what it meant to be a part of Special Operations Unit in the military. He left for basic training on his 22nd birthday, and he graduated and became part of a Special Operations Unit exactly one year and a day later. So when you ask the question, how had I experienced God's mercy, Mm. honestly, it was watching how incredibly faithful our God was to this 22-year-old young man. So we longed to honor the man he was becoming by being his biggest cheerleaders and prayer warriors. But God gave this young man the desire of his heart. The Lord showed his kindness and mercy from the smallest of requests by asking that he not get poison ivy during training cycles because Mm -hmm. he's highly allergic to it, to where he would actually be stationed when it was all over. Time and time again, God granted the request and showed Luke, I am with you. I love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that certainly doesn't mean there weren't bumps along the way or tons of discouragement, injuries, sleepless nights on our part. But it does mean that we saw God at work. And through that work, we saw his constant, faithful, compassionate kindness to them. And that's what we really was encouraging to us. Oh, that is so powerful. And some of us have got the privilege to watch you guys post and to 
cheer uh, your son on. And it has been an incredible journey to watch. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's so powerful. Now, when I um, look at the story of Rahab, it's so interesting on so many levels, like you were saying, Amber. But this time I noticed something that the two spies weren't named Mm -hmm. and Rahab was named. And uh, and I said, well, that was intentional because God wanted us to know Rahab's name because mm-hmm. we would see it later in Matthew and in Hebrews. And it could have been two spies go to a harlot, but it was yeah. two spies go to Rahab. Right. And, that, and that was because God wanted us to know her because he had such a beautiful story to tell through her. Yes. And so I'm, I'm 62 and this is a time of life where I kind of look back over my life. And I see the providence of God in my life, like in Rahab. It was his divine will for what he had planned for her life. And all the way to the beginning where he allowed me to be raised in a Christian home. And we went to church every Sunday and I learned about God. And I assumed everybody went to church every Sunday. But of course, we know that's not true. So it was God's mercy even in where I was born, because I had no say-so in what household I would be born into. And my family was part of the great migration of Black families from the South to the North. So they migrated North for a better life. Mm -hmm. And my family settled in Detroit, and others were in Ohio. And we were in the inner city of Detroit. So we weren't in the suburbs, we were in the inner city. And I look back over that and my parents were able to somehow cocoon us from some of the things going on around us. And I often wonder how they could do that. But I know it was because they were leaning on the mercy of God, you know, in in our life. And and I think about my neighbor to the right and their son overdosed on drugs. And my neighbor to the left, when he came back from Vietnam, he hung himself in the basement. But in the middle of all of that, my parents had us in some kind of <laughs> cocoon because if you had talked to me at that time, I would have said, oh, we're wealthy and things are great. And, and it was, it's just amazing that they could do that with all those things going on. And I know it was because of their faith in God and his mercy to our family. And then I went off to college and I did the opposite. I went from the north to the south because I couldn't take one more Michigan winter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and At the same time, God was moving David from Augusta to Atlanta, so we met. And now we're getting ready to celebrate 40 years of marriage, Mm. of a wonderful marriage. And I tease him. I say, God brought me all the way from Michigan (laughs) to save you down there in Augusta. (laughs) But when I think about all the pieces that had to come together Mm -hmm. from me being born in Detroit, or even going further back, my parents being born in Alabama and making that move and and being um, in Christ, all those pieces coming together to form a very beautiful picture of, of what my life is now. Mm. And it is the mercy mm. and the grace of God. Oh, that is just absolutely incredible. And for you to make that connection with Rahab and... I think often we will distance ourselves from who she is. But when the truth of the matter is the Lord did name her um, and Rahab really, we really are Rahab, right? We are the ones that are in need of his mercies. We are the ones who uh, have the sinful lives that could never measure up. We are the ones who didn't deserve to be saved. We are the ones who need him as a refuge. 
all of those things. And you're right. We didn't have anything to do with it. You couldn't have chosen where you were going to live and, yes. and the conditions you grew up in, but it was his mercies. And so thank that was just, that was such a great story. Thank you. Ladies. I was glad I was wearing my mask in here as y'all were talking. Cause it's like a little hmm. uh, handy tissue sort of. And just to see y'all's emotions, Pam, to know some of your story and to walk mm-hmm. through that with you. And then Angela to hear you so beautifully describe mm-hmm. uh, the Lord's particular work, particular workings in your own life just made me think the same God who names and numbers the stars names and numbers his people. And what some people might say is just happenstance or just sort of occurred because we don't really believe that a God is that powerful and that sovereign and that majestic, Mm -hmm. but that he cares about all those seemingly small details in such a powerful and wonderful way. Mm -hmm. I just loved hearing those Mm -hmm. descriptions. Thank Mm y'all. I do want to know as you describe the Lord's mercy, and it's evident to see how precious it is to both of you. How does that then affect the ways you live? You know, you look at Rahab's life and you see that she did some things in response to her understanding of the Lord's mercy, not in order to earn it, but because she already believed that it existed there for her. You know, she was willing to risk her life to have the spies. She was willing to do what they required of her, hang that scarlet robe in order to identify herself with that covenant, remain in that room, that place of protection that was promised, wait on that redemption. What are some of the ways that y'all find yourself responding to the Lord's grace in ways similar to Rahab? Well, my faith in in God's mercy to me allows me to show mercy to to others. Mm -hmm. So God has me working with someone now in my life who needs help, but they're difficult. They can be selfish. They do the same wrong thing over and over, and I get frustrated. And God says, how many times have I been merciful to you when you were difficult and selfish and doing the same thing over and over? Mm -hmm. So because of the mercy he has extended to me, it allows me at times when I don't even want to, to extend that mercy to somebody else. And knowing that you've received it and then you're still receiving it as you extend it mm-hmm. you know, not just to. a one-time thing but even right receiving <laughs> mercy in order to extend yes. mercy yes i loved hearing angela's story um about how she grew up because mine is totally opposite of that and i have a lot in common i feel like with rahab because just like god rescued rahab from jericho god rescued me i have a very dysfunctional family full of mental illness addiction lies manipulating and he took me out of that life and gave me a life in him with a new community with his people and a new way of living so um i think what he has rescued me from is what he's called me to to be mm-hmm. obedient to and that's being a friend of broken people struggling people having a home that's open for those who are sick and hurting, helping people get through a crisis so they feel safe and heard and mostly just being willing to be in the mess with someone. Mm -hmm. There's definitely no formula or magic pill you can give someone when their marriage is falling apart or when their child's in rebellion or even when someone is struggling with debilitating depression. But you can show up and you can sit with them and God will use even those little bits of obedience for their good and his glory. So even though I've never been in danger of losing my life, I have often lost my freedom, my my free Mm -hmm. afternoon that I thought I would have to myself, Mm -hmm. or maybe I've lost a quiet house because there's another family living with us, or even lost an evening where I thought it would be just Matt and I, but it ends up being Matt and I and another couple who's struggling. Um, Obedience isn't often convenient, oftentimes not what I want to do. That's the rub. 
Um, but am I going to die to myself and my own desires and do his work? Or am I going to make life all about me and not see his mighty power working in the lives of others? Amen. You do that so well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. I know. I tell you that, but I've gotten again, the privilege to watch you do that and to be a recipient of it. And it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's hard, but it is always fruitful. And like you said, to see him take you out of one thing. I know you love that phrase, um, beauty from ashes mm-hmm. and to use you to bring that beauty into other people's lives mm-hmm. has really been a pleasure Thank to you. watch. How kind of the Lord to give us this pause in the action in chapter two and to lift up for Joshua and for us, this picture of Rahab and her family as trophies of his grace. It wasn't enough for the Lord to repeatedly tell Joshua to be strong and courageous, assure him of his presence, remind him that he was with Moses just, and he would be with him. He did all of these things repeatedly in the first chapter of Joshua. And now in chapter two, he pauses, not because he had to, but because he longs to offer Joshua assurance for the journey. The Lord longed to be gracious to Joshua, just as he longs to be gracious to us. And with that wonderful note of encouragement, we hope you will join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you take an evening walk in the almost, but not yet, cool fall weather. We will be talking about Joshua chapters 3 and 4, and we'd love for you to listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he grants the soul again. A season of pure shining to cheer it after the rain.